And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Well, we just read the passage about the blind beggar there in Jericho, and God often uses the most simple and really unlikely people uh, to teach us some of the most profound spiritual lessons. In our text, we've got this blind beggar. He teaches us some important lessons about what it means to have faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, Mark tells us that his name is Bartimaeus. All right. Um, Matthew tells us that actually there were two blind beggars that got healed that day, but Mark and Luke only mention one. Now, they don't say that there was only one. They merely focus on the man who was the, mo- the most vocal and the more memorable of the two. And there is another little harmonistic problem here. Matthew and Mark both say that the incident took place as Jesus was going out of Jericho. Whereas Luke states that it happened as Jesus was approaching Jericho. Now, there, there are numerous solutions proposed for this, but the variance, what it tells us is that Luke did not get his information from Mark or from Matthew, or their accounts would match. Also, we're dealing with eyewitness accounts of what happened. Matthew was there when it happened. Mark got his information from Peter, who was there when it happened. And Luke, we know, carefully researched his account from eyewitnesses. Now, the truth is, sometimes eyewitnesses' accounts of the same event, they can vary greatly and yet all be true. Uh, Now, we may lack sufficient information to piece it all together, but it would be really arrogant for us, in our limited perspective, to say that one of these authors has it wrong. No, we don't know that. I want to give you some of the, just a a few of the proposed solutions to this problem. Some say that Jesus was leaving the old Jericho, if you'll remember, all the way back when the Israelites uh, came into the land of Canaan, who was the first city they destroyed? Jericho. And it was not rebuilt on its own where it was. It's very close by. So some kind of will we'll put forth the view that uh, he was actually leaving, Luke was talking about leaving the, the old Jericho, okay? That's possible grammatically, but the truth is it's hard to talk about leaving a city when nobody lives there. It's ruins, all right? So that one doesn't hold a lot of water. Uh, others propose really a two-part event that was condensed into one account, and, and this one makes a lot of sense to me. Bartimaeus cried out as Jesus entered the city, Right, And now he's tagging along with the crowd and eventually is heard by Jesus when they're leaving the city. And that's when he heals him. Another variation is that Jesus entered and passed through the city when he encountered Zacchaeus. So he's through the city, he encounters Zacchaeus. Remember, that's next week. And, uh, or the next passage, we'll, we'll see what the Lord has in mind. But anyway, uh, he, he encounters Zacchaeus calls Zacchaeus down, is now going back to Zacchaeus' house in the city. So depending on your perspective, he's either leaving Jericho or he's re-entering Jericho. Now, however you resolve it, both this story, which, by the way, is Luke's last miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus, and the next story, which is about Zacchaeus, they are examples of how the nation should have responded to the Messiah. Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, they line up with the publican that we looked at just a couple weeks ago in Jesus' parable, who cried out to God for mercy. Now, they stand in contrast to the Pharisee in that same parable and the rich young ruler who both tried to approach God based on their own merit. Now, the Pharisee and the young rich rich, the rich young ruler, they were likely candidates for salvation. And they missed out because they trusted in themselves and they refused to acknowledge their own sin. 
Now, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, they were unlikely candidates for salvation, but they attained it through faith in God's mercy, apart from anything in themselves. So Luke uses this unlikely blind beggar to teach us that when Jesus passes by, we should cry out to him in faith, and he will be merciful to us. Let's go to the Lord. Father, this morning we pray that you would pour your mercy out on us as we see Jesus passing by, Father, that we would be compelled to cry out to him for mercy. Father, meet our needs according to your riches and glory, and we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all ever get a frog in your throat? Okay, we're back on. There we go. Very good. There are three main lessons that I want us to consider this morning. First, there are opportune spiritual moments when Jesus passes by. Now, every day was the same for Bartimaeus's darkened world. He would get up, he'd grope around for a piece of bread, then he would take his staff and tap, tap, tap his way from his house out to his normal spot where he would sit. And when people passed by, he would say, alms for the blind, alms for the blind, and evidently he would eke out enough to survive. But today was different. A larger-than-usual crowd was making its way past Bartimaeus, and he recognizes it, and he, he asks, what's happening? And he was told, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And Bartimaeus instantly, instantly thought, Jesus of Nazareth? He's not just Jesus of Nazareth, the great prophet. He is Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah. Now, Bartimaeus was blind, <laughs> Uh, but he saw something that the average person didn't. Um, he says, I've heard about his marvelous teaching. I, I've seen how he's healed the sick and raised the dead, and I've even heard that he has given sight to the blind. So Bartimaeus instantly knew that this was his window of opportunity. Jesus was passing by, and soon he would be gone, maybe never to return that way again. So it's kind of like a halfback who gets the ball and he sees just a little opening in the line and, and boy, he jumps right in there. Same thing here. Bartimaeus is just plunging through. He began to shout at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now those near him said, shut up, old man. We want to hear what Jesus is saying. And when they said that, he just shouted back, Jesus, louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the ones leading the way yelled, tell that beggar to be quiet. The master has more important things to, to attend to. But Bartimaeus, he's not going to be silenced. This was his only chance, and he's not going to miss it. Now, just as Bartimaeus had this opportune moment to cry out to Jesus, and then it would be gone, so it may be with, with you this morning. Today is the day of salvation. That's what Paul tells us. You may not have tomorrow. Today, you're hearing the Word of God, and we're talking about the fact that, that Jesus is a Savior who invites you to come to Him for His mercy. So Jesus is passing by. He may never pass this close to you again. He's the only one with the power to open eyes that have been blinded by sin. Call out to Him while He is near. Now, that's number one. Number two, Jesus passes, when Jesus passes by, we should cry out to him with just bold, persistent faith. Now, Bartimaeus knew the business of begging. He wasn't shy. He cried out for all he was worth. And when people told him to shut up, he just yelled out all the louder. He kept shouting until he heard that Jesus was actually calling for him. 
And so uh, his bold, persistent faith obtained what he was after. Now, this, this blind beggar really teaches us seven things about faith. Number one, our faith should be in Jesus, the Messiah. The multitude said Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, but Bartimaeus didn't cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This blind beggar, beggar this, this beggar was blind, but he saw something significant about Jesus. He's the son of David. Now, public opinion about Jesus at this point was pretty sharply divided. Bartimaeus had heard some argue that Jesus was an, an imposter. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Remember that? Or uh, in John it says, everyone knows that the Christ must be from the offspring of David, born in Bethlehem, but they thought he was from Nazareth. But there were others, and they countered, surely no one can do the miracles that this man does unless he were from God. The deaf hear, the dumb speak, the lame walk, the dead are raised, and the eyes of the blind are open. And when Bartimaeus heard that account, he says, wait a minute, did you say that Jesus opens the eyes of the blind? Well, yes, they reported just, uh, just recently in Jerusalem, he opened the eyes of a man who was born blind. Whew. Bartimaeus' heart just leapt with hope as he thought, this Jesus then it really is the Messiah. He's, he's the son of David. If only he would come to Jericho and would give me sight. Now, there are two strands of support here that show us that Jesus is the promised anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. First, he was descended from David. We know that. And that was in fulfillment of God's promises to David all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. Well, that's talking about Jesus. Luke has traced this Davidic connection. In 127, we learn that Mary was a descendant of David. In 2.4, we learn that Joseph also was a descendant of David. And so the couple went to Bethlehem, which is the city of David. That's where David was from, to pay their taxes. And that's, Jesus was there, and that's where Jesus was born, in Bethlehem. In 3.23 through 38, we specifically hear that Jesus' lineage goes back through David. In chapter 20, Jesus spars with the religious leaders, and he asked them, it was such a hard question, it says that nobody dared ask any more questions. <laughs> Here was his question, how is it that the Messiah can be both David's son and his Lord? It's true, but they had no answer. So Jesus, in fact, does come from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah. Well, the second strand that shows Jesus to be the promised Messiah is he opens the eyes of the blind. Isaiah 35.5 prophesied that the Messiah would do such things. Do you remember when John sent a couple disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the, anoint, are you the, the anointed one or are we to look for another? Are, are you him? Are you the Christ? And you remember Jesus' response? He's actually quoting from Isaiah 35, 5. He, 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 he said, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. That's number one on the list. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now in the Bible, only Jesus blind. Hello. Eyes of the blind. And, and there are more of that recorded miracle of, of opening the eyes of the blind that Jesus did than any other. It shows him to be the promised Messiah. 
Now, the point is, it's important, it's important that our, our faith rests on Jesus as revealed in Scripture. Not in a Jesus of our own imagination. The cults, they have invented false Christs who don't match up to Jesus of the Bible. Uh, others subjectively make up a Jesus of their own liking. I mean, that's, that's one of the, the ironic things about our system of religion is that God made us in His image, and so out of grateful hearts, we create a God in our own image. And it's usually not the Jesus of the Bible. When we believe in Jesus, we have to believe in the Jesus as He is revealed in Scripture. Well, number two, our faith should appeal to God on the basis of mercy and not merit. Bartimaeus didn't stand up for Jesus and fix his tie and uh, say, well, I've lived a pretty good life. I've always gone to synagogue. I've never hurt anyway, anybody. I've always tried to do the best I can. So based on all that I've done, would you open my eyes? No. Bartimaeus knew that he was a blind beggar with no claim upon Jesus for healing. He had nothing in himself to commend himself to Christ. Just like the publican in Jesus' parable there in the temple, he just cried out for mercy. Now Luke wants us to see that we are all blind beggars before God. Paul tells us that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So outside of Christ, men are blinded by Satan. Before God, we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This is perhaps the major stumbling block that keeps people from coming to Christ. They want to commend themselves and their good deeds. God has to open our eyes to our true condition before Him. We have nothing in ourselves to merit His salvation. We are spiritually blind sinners. And the only way that we can come to Him is to ask for mercy, not present any merit to Him. Number three, our, our, our faith should be personal, not generic. Bartimaeus didn't cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. After all, there were two of them. It might have been more polite to ask for healing for both. But each man had to come on his own. Bartimaeus could have thought, I'm a Jew, I'm a son of Abraham. Maybe I can get this healing uh, kind of on the group plan. But he didn't. Generic faith will not do. The only way that you can come to Christ is to cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. I am the sinner. I am the spiritually blind one. Lord, please be gracious to me. Well, number four, our faith should persistently overcome all hindrances. Whenever you trust in God, you will encounter hindrances. Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus in faith, and the crowd sternly told him to be quiet. But the more they told him to be quiet, what? The louder he got. This was just one opportunity to be healed, and he wasn't about to sit there passively and let it pass by. He persisted until Jesus heard him. He was like the widow in Jesus' parable that opened up chapter 18 here. She kept hounding the judge until he granted her request. Now, probably those who told Bartimaeus to be quiet, quiet they were embarrassed by his bold outcry. Uh, it wasn't polite. It didn't follow social protocol. It interrupted the things that Jesus was saying as the group walked by. But Bartimaeus didn't care what people thought about him. He cared about one thing. He wanted to see. So whether you trust in Christ as your Savior or whether you simply step out in faith as a Christian, your faith will have to overcome hindrances. you got to understand that there's only, 
there's a bunch of ways you can divide the worlds in two, but here's the most significant. Those in Christ and those not in Christ. Those not in Christ are set against God and those who are. So whether it's you're a brand new Christian or whether you've walked a long time with the, wor- with the Lord, the world is against you. There will be hindrances. So we need to learn from Bartimaeus to persist in faith in spite of what those hindrances might be. Well, number five, uh, our faith should be specific in focus. At first, Bartimaeus cried out, have mercy on me. But then Jesus asks him rather pointedly, what do you want me to do for you? Now, that seems like a strange question to ask a blind man, right? But Jesus never asks a dumb question. Uh, His question was designed to get Bartimaeus to be specific in stating his need in front of the crowd. So he says, Lord, I want to receive my sight. Now, that response, it also confesses that he believed that Jesus had the power to give him his sight. Jesus doesn't always grant us our requests, even when we are specific. Matthew and Mark both report, just prior to this incident, James and John coming to Jesus. And they asked him to do whatever they would request. So Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they answered, grant that we may sit in your glory, one on the right and one on the left. But you know what? Jesus did not grant that request. It wasn't for His glory to grant it. But it is for His glory to grant salvation by His free grace to blind beggars who cry out, Lord, I want to receive my sight. So be specific. Tell the Lord that you have sinned and you want His forgiveness. He'll say, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. i got to tell you, we had four gentlemen in the first service sat right down here where you guys are, and they had on the same shirt and uh, on, yeah, it's right here. Anyway, on the on on his wings, something like that. They're out of Mobile. If you go to Walmart today, you're going to see them up there. They're up there. They're sharing their testimony. They're selling some of their T-shirts to raise money for their ministry. Their ministry takes in addicts. Now we heard testimony from David. Okay, David came up and just gave a short testimony. It was uh, uh, November of 2019. He was from Philadelphia. He heard about the program. He got in it. It was a he. It's a 90 day program. The the actual addiction part to get you clean is a 90 day program. And he said, in my heart, I was only planning on being there two weeks. He said I needed to get out of trouble. I needed somewhere to go. So he went down there. God got hold of him. And now he just got ordained into, into ministry two weeks ago. And he was, a, I mean, a serious addict. So by faith, he says, he says I did a 360. And I kind of had to correct him later. What happens when you do a 360? You, you're going right where you went. No, no, you did a 180. You turn. And he goes, oh, yeah. So that's, that's what faith in Jesus does. Paul says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Right? Behold, uh, the, all, all things have gone. Uh, all things are new. So be specific. Tell the Lord that you have sinned, that you want His forgiveness. And He will say, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Well, number six, our faith should be bold in its requests. That's a pretty, thing, a pretty bold thing to ask, isn't it? Uh, make me see. <laughs> it doesn't say how long he's been blind, but he can't see. He says... Fix my eyes. I want to receive my sight. It reminds me of uh, the story of Naaman. Do you remember Naaman? He was the Aramean army captain who was a leper. 
Now he had a servant girl from Israel who told him that Israel had a prophet named Elisha who could heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman took a generous gift along with a letter from his king to the king of Israel uh, that said, Please cure my servant of his leprosy. So the king of Israel reads the letter and he tears his clothes and he says, Who am I, God? Am I God that I should kill and make alive? That this man is asking me to cure a man of his leprosy? And somebody tells him, well, there is Elijah, so they send him to Elijah. But that was, that was the right thing. Who in the world but God can cure leprosy? And that's the point. God is in the best business of answering impossible requests that bring glory to his name. Tyler reminded us just a couple of weeks ago that salvation is impossible with men, but not with God. Like Bartimaeus, come to God as a blind, begging sinner and cry out, Lord, I want to receive my sight. What men cannot do, God can and will do. He'll say, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Now, one reason Bartimaeus' faith was so bold was that he felt his deep need so keenly. He lived each day in total darkness. Those who could see, that would be us mostly, don't feel the desperation that Bartimaeus felt. He could walk out into the bright sun of, uh, bright sun of, our, of our Florida state here and it is still pitch black for him. Now, I once heard Bill Cosby tell a story of how he was staying in the, ho in the same hotel as uh, Ray Charles, who of course, of course is blind. And so he decided to stop by Ray's room and say hello. He knocked on the door and, and Ray yelled, come in. So Cosby walked in and he heard uh, Ray's electric razor going in the, uh, rest in, in the bathroom. But the lights were out and it was, it was totally dark in there. So without thinking, Cosby blurted out, hey, Ray, why are you shaving in the dark? And then it hit him about the time it got out of his mouth and he went, dum, dum, dum. Ray good-naturedly called back and said, Brother, I do everything in the dark. It's when we realize our true spiritual condition that we sense our desperate need for Jesus. If you think you got it together, you won't turn to Jesus. It's when you get to the end of yourself, then you will turn to Jesus. I hope you've been there. Deliverance by man is in vain. We need deliverance by God, so we must cast ourselves totally on Him. Well, the last thing here in point two, our faith should result in glory to God for His answer. As soon as Barnabas gained his sight, he said, Thanks, I feel much better now. And then he took off and he enjoyed life and he had all the fun that he had been missing, right? So what Scripture says? No. Immediately, he began following Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people who saw what had happened gave praise to God. Jesus says, let your works. So Now, this wasn't a work of Bartimaeus. It was a work of Jesus, but the same thing happened. Let your works so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father who is in heaven. So that's, what, that's what's happened here. The mark of true faith in Jesus is that the person who got saved gives glory to God. He begins to live a new life of following Jesus in which others are impelled or compelled to give praise to God. We looked at those men this morning who were all former addicts and now they're all full-time in the ministry. 
seeking others. That's what salvation does. Bartimaeus didn't go around telling everybody about his great faith. Yes, Jesus says that his faith saved him, but clearly he means that Bartimaeus' faith was the means which salvation came to him. When you... Uh, I'm going out here. Okay, shake you. It was God's power through Jesus that gave him his sight. The power and the will heal, that rests completely with the Lord. Faith is just a hand that receives God's gift. For Bartimaeus, it was the gift of sight and the gift of eternal life. And Paul tells us that even faith is a gift of God. No one can boast in their great faith. We can only glory in God who opened our eyes and showed us His great mercy. So we've seen that there are opportune spiritual moments when Jesus is passing by, and at such times, we should cry out to Him in faith. Well, finally, number three, when we cry out to Jesus in faith, He will be merciful to us. We've seen it time and time again. As soon as Jesus heard Bartimaeus' cry, He stopped or He stood still. He, he was walking with a crowd of people. He was headed to Jerusalem. What was He going to Jerusalem for? We looked at it last week. To suffer and to die, right? Uh, he, 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 he could have thought, I don't have time for this man. I've got bigger things on my plate. Uh, besides, can't he see that I'm teaching? No, he couldn't see. <laughs> Doesn't he understand that, uh, that I'm teaching this multitude? But Jesus did stop. He will always stop for any needy sinner who cries out to him for mercy. He didn't tell Bartimaeus to go clean up first. He didn't prescribe a plan of penance for him to work off his sin. Instantly, by his great mercy, Jesus granted Bartimaeus' request. His words, your faith have saved you, they have a double meaning. On the one level, he was saved physically so that now he could see. But on a deeper level, his faith had saved him spiritually. Now that is the greater miracle. Instantly, God forgave his sins and imparted new life to him, making him a child of God. You remember Jesus said, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. That's Bartimaeus. God promises that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, David Brainerd, he was the 18th century missionary to the American Indians. He was once witnessing to a chief of a tribe, and the chief was close to trusting in Jesus, but he was holding back for some reason. Brainerd got up, he took a stick, and he drew a circle around the chief. And then he said, decide before you cross that line. Now, now, why was Brainerd so urgent about this issue? It's because he recognized that Jesus was passing by that chief at that moment, and he might never be so close again. I pray that you will see Jesus passing by here today, and that this poor, blind beggar will teach you to cry out in faith, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. If you do, he will. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we are grateful again for your love for us that's demonstrated in so many ways, but one of the primary ways is the fact that you give us your word, uh, is to know you better, is to know ourselves, to understand, uh, Father, what we need to come into your presence. And Father, we simply need to call out for your uh, mercy, to recognize our own 
uh, ineptitude in this whole idea of salvation and father to offer it you to you we give you our sins and you give us the righteousness of christ we thank you father help us to be crying out for your mercy it's in jesus name i pray every amen well you know we're, we're kind of using the three circles i, I i'm going to i'm going to use this repeatedly just so that you kind of get it comfortable in your mind because you don't know when you're going to have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody it, it's very simple uh, i always start with saying that we live in a broken world people recognize that uh, it's broken you don't have to look very far to understand that uh, people see brokenness in their own life oh there you go we got it um God didn't create the world that way. God created the world perfect. It was a perfect design. But what happened? Our first, our, our uh, progenitors, the, our, our, our father uh, and, and mother, okay, Adam and Eve, they sinned. Their sin was forgiven, but the consequences of sin remain. And it's not just on us. It's not just us that are broken. Do you understand the world? I'm, I'm, the earth is broken. Paul tells us in chapter 8 of Romans that the world, the earth, groans in anticipation for the adoptions of uh, the sons uh, of God. So it's looking for a, a renewal as well. Well, we look for renewal in our lives because we recognize that we're broken. Okay, it's not just the world. We recognize brokenness as us. And so we do all kinds of things to remedy that brokenness, right? We go to church. That's the number one thing worldwide is religion. Trying to fix that brokenness through religion. Do you understand that that is Satan's best weapon? Christianity is not about religion. This is off, this is off the mark, but I can't help but go there. Uh, religion is spelled D-O. It's what you do to get back to God. You recognize that you're at enmity with God. And what do you do? You try to do things to get back to Him. You go to church, faith, church faithfully. Uh, you're kind to other people. You try to love other people. You, you, don't, you try not to sin. You do the best you can. You give money to the church, in fact. Whatever. It's a list of things that you check off when you do them and say, Yes, I am okay with God. That's, that's religion. Spelled do, D-O. How, how do you spell Christianity? Done, D-O-N-E. And it's based on what Christ has already done on the cross. You simply trust Him. God didn't, uh, He didn't leave us in this broken state for good. We have the gospel, we have Jesus. He sent Jesus to this earth to die, or to live a sinless life perfect, uh, first, and then die on the cross for our sins, and then be buried and raised again on the third day. And for us to take part in this gospel message is two things that are incumbent upon us that are necessary to turn and believe. Turn is, is just a regular word for repent. That's that 180, right? You're chasing the things of this world. Stop chasing them. Turn to God. Okay? Then believe. What do we believe? That Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He's the son of God. That he was crucified, buried, and raised again on the third day. That's the essence of the gospel. You believe that. Once you do that, now you are headed back to God's perfect design. You recover that original uh, essence that's within you. Ecclesiastes says that God has put uh, eternity in our hearts. And C.S. Lewis was the one that said, and, and also, I um, can't think of his name, Bonhoeffer, Dietrich. Uh, said something very similar that we try to fill that emptiness with all kind of things, but there's only one there's only one thing that fills it, and that's God. It's a God shaped void in us. 
that longing, that knowing, yes, there is an eternity. There's more than this life, right? So we recover, we grow in our faith, we become more conformed into uh, God's perfect design. Then we have one more thing, and that's we go as those who have been redeemed by Jesus, those who have been claimed by Jesus, we go back out into that broken world and we share the good news with the world. Yeah, they're broken, and they need to know what you know about Christ, so we tell them. Well, that's the gospel in a nutshell. And I hope this morning that if you're out there and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that you will respond to the fact that, yes, Jesus is here. By His Spirit, He is here. And He's calling you today. And He's asking you to just turn from your sin and to call out for His mercy. That's what Bartimaeus did. He didn't have anything in himself. He said, Jesus, Son of David, you're the Messiah. Have mercy on me. If you call out for God's mercy today, he will answer you and he'll make you his child. If you're a believer, I hope you just understand that, yes, a lot went into God's design for all of creation. And we are the benefits of that. And that our relationship with Jesus is based on what he has done, not what we continue to do. And that you'll rest in that. That you'll rest in his completed work on the cross. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.